Let's talk about um, making money online. I, I, I like making money online. Uh, how we got started, our first businesses? How we got started. Make money online. How do you get started, Kai? Well, depends how we want to think about it. I think the first dollar I made online was selling Magic the Gathering cards on eBay. In a high school, I started selling parts of my collection online, realized there was an arbitrage opportunity, and started buying cards locally from card shops, from other players, and eBaying them, and cut my teeth on eBay for four or five years. Wow. How about you? Uh, I did not do that at all. Um, I start, well, it began when I just got into computers a lot. Um, I think you could trace it all the way back to my upbringing. Like my dad was in computers and we're in roughly the same industry now. And he made me build computers when I was like eight years old. Um, he was like, Oh, you want a computer? Here's, here's all the parts. I'm like, dope. Great. Thanks dad. Um, and I made one and it was great. And I got a tremendous sense of pride out of it. Started making websites in 1994, uh, five, something like that. I've been around on the internet for a long time uh, and did it a lot in, in high school and college. And um, once I got out of college, I still, I, I knew I wanted to do computers for a living. So I got a human computer interaction degree in graduate school um, and got out and became a front end web developer for a small firm that did Drupal websites, like right when Drupal was starting out. And this is like 2006. And I bounced from like full time gig to full time gig. And the first time I went independent was 2009. And that was because I got fired from my job on New Year's Eve um, from 09 to 2010, New Year's Eve 2009. And um, that was really stupid. And I just spent like kind of 10 months flitting around from like contract gig to contract gig and i was very much a wireframe monkey like i i um didn't care about business needs i didn't care about pricing myself fairly my rate was 55 dollars an hour um and shocking exactly no one listening to this podcast it was a precipitous disaster i uh eventually went and took the first full-time job i could find which involved leading ux at a small agency that went bust. I went to a very large agency and was like at the bottom of the pecking order. Uh, worked there for a year and a half and uh, quit when they asked me to commute to Boston four days a week. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, and it was really inhumane. And I was busy launching a thing that required me being in Chicago for like press checks and stuff. And uh, so I left and everyone thought I was crazy. And I got my first independent gig um, as draft uh, by pinging one of the highest end user experience consulting firms in the city on Twitter, sight unseen. I was like, do you have any jobs? And they were like, yes. And I was like, can I come in and meet you? And then and I got a meeting with the CEO and got a three and a half month full-time freelance gig. And that allowed me to like land on my feet while I like, figured out what I was doing with everything. And the first year sucked. I made hardly any money after that gig. I uh, eventually got asked to work for Chicago Magazine. I took a couple like small startup gigs um, and just like, I just fucked around really. Like I didn't do anything significant. Um, I was doing interaction design projects and like some strategy work and I was billing out. I was not stupid enough to realize uh that I should bill 55 an hour. So I was billing 80 an hour. And eventually I was billing 85 an hour. 
And I was still doing the same kind of like IA wireframe type stuff. Um, I was getting a little louder about what kind of clients I should take on and kind of thinking about that. And I eventually just bounced from like full-time gig to full-time gig and launched Draft Revise in 2013. And that turned me into the the Monty Burns that you know today. That was a really <laughs> long response, but uh, you, you were way more concise. Hey, let me let me fill in the backstory on my side. So uh, yeah, yeah. started with eBay business. Uh, let me think about the time frame here. So Magic, Magic the Gathering and that being some sort of revenue or revenue source of my life started when I was... 14, 15, so middle of high school, and continued through college until after college. And during college, I did a tiny bit of WordPress freelancing on the side, building basic websites for folks for less than $20 an hour, and ended up uh, at one point starting a newspaper on campus. Uh, we rebranded as the Comic Press after five issues, but the launching name was the Weekly Enema. We were a uh, bi-weekly satirical, every other week satirical newspaper, sort of like The Onion, we ran that for, my partner and I ran that for two and a quarter years. And uh, at one point, we had 18 people on staff, writers, editors, designers. And uh, that that was a fun, wild, wild ride. Uh, graduated college in 2008 and went to work at a startup doing their social media. My background, education-wise, is in econ, but I always was interested in marketing and really wanted to dive into that world, started at the startup, poached away to an educational media company in town where I started as the sales engineer, which basically was the guy who was able to talk to marketing, talk to sales, and talk to tech to make sure marketing and sales knew what was going on. Graduated to be the sales manager there, left to be marketing manager at a uh, SaaS company in Eugene, a software as a service company. Uh, was poached away from there to be the director of marketing for a construction firm. I did not enjoy being the director of marketing for this construction firm. And after a year, I left and went full-time independent. That was 2012. And that was me throwing myself out of the jet plane. Uh, I really had no clue what I was doing. I didn't have any best practices established for being a consultant. Uh, I lucked into a large long-term gig with the former CMO of a company I had worked for, the SaaS. And when they asked me, well, what's your what's your rate? Uh, I knew that I was making 25 an hour at the construction company, so I was like, 30 an hour. And they were like, great, sounds good. And I had no clue how to price myself, no clue how to value what I was doing, no clue how to be an effective consultant. I was very much a pair of hands there. Uh, I worked with them for about a year and a half while slowly figuring out consulting stuff and also on the side starting a second eBay business, buying and reselling Apple products like iPhones. Uh, started that one in Honolulu. That grew at an amazing pace while I was doing consulting on the side. At peak, it was doing around 40000 a month in revenue. And uh, I decided to get out of that market as quickly as I could once I realized that it was incredibly volatile overnight. At one point when iOS 6 came out, the value of an iPhone 5 on the secondary market dropped by 50%. And thankfully, I was not carrying any inventory, but it went from, oh, cool, I could sell this phone for $400 to, oh, I could sell this phone for $200? I just paid $300 for it. What do I do now? And uh, uh, when that happened, I decided to go all in on consulting and continue growing that way. And since then, I've been 
full-time all-in on consulting, growing first double your e-commerce and now double your audience. And now I'm starting to branch out towards information products and see how I could add that as an additional stream of revenue. Nice. That's good. Awesome. So that that covers like, uh, we had very different trajectories, right? And we somehow ended up like talking to each other. We've been part of a mastermind group for the past year and a half and now co-run it. And it's been really great. Um, it's, you know, frankly, the closest thing to coworkers that I've had in the past four years. Being able to share war stories and apply a lot of the techniques that we that we do to our own methods of making money online is is really valuable. I'm looking uh, here. I'm, I'm wondering, what would you do differently? Sell more iPhones? Oh, gosh. I go back and forth on that all the time. Like, I think, like, diving into the, yeah, like, I don't know if it's sell more iPhones, but figure out a way to do it sustainably. Like, I think there's, like, at the end of the iPhone business, I had stopped selling on eBay, partly because I discovered there were brokers willing to pay money in bulk for iPhones. And we'll circle back to that in a second, partly because I got banned from eBay twice. Because uh, do not try to run an eBay business while you're moving from Hawaii to Eugene. You will disappoint your customers because you will ship orders late. But I had started selling to a broker who was shipping them over to China. He had 100 guys like me. He was making two or three bucks per iPhone. He was sending a literal... uh, what's it called, a shipping container full of iPhones every week over there. And I'm like, my God, the volume. Like, how much are you doing? And he's like, we are doing a lot of volume. We're sending a lot of iPhones. And I keep looking at that business and thinking, well, there is definitely money to be made there. But I think on a macro level, what I would have done differently in that business in particular is figure out how to elevate myself out of the day-to-day operations. Because at the end, I was doing everything. I never figured out how to delegate. And I think that's a recurring thing throughout my history as a business owner and even an employee. I never have been that good at delegating to other people. It's something I'm aggressively trying to get better at. And even when I look back to Kai as a beginning level consultant, there were so many opportunities for me to either delegate to other people who I knew as consultants and hire them as subcontractors or delegate to people who were hiring me and saying, hey, somebody else at the company should handle this and this is why. I just never did it. And it it's a muscle that has definitely atrophied that I'm getting better at. How about you? What would you What would you change over your history as a business owner? Um, I wish I would have learned clients' needs better. Like I knew that clients needed design in this vague, nebulous way because why wouldn't you? Because design is great. And I never really thought about what the business value of it was and, and learning how that works. Um it teaches you a lot about how really the world works and how commerce works. Because when you see something like design, which connects to basically everything at this point, or technology, which is at least written about a lot and connects to substantial amounts of Western society, you start to understand a lot about how you fit in and how you can fit in in the future. And for a very long time, we're talking on the order of three-fourths of my career here, I was just like, design, design, design. I love being a designer. Isn't this great? I'm going to dress in black and wear Warby Parkers and go to Fluvog. And like, that's great, but you also, you can't just be an actor who's playing a designer for a living. You have to know what the business needs are, and you have to know how design fits into society and can fit into society. 
And it really only took until the past three years for me to, to well and truly in my heart of hearts know that. Um, and I wish I had done it sooner. I, I really do. Um, that's the number one thing. That's interesting since the more you understand about the business needs at play, I think the higher, well, I know the higher rates you're able to charge because you're able to say, well, this is the value of what I'm providing. This is the painful problem you're experiencing. It's costing you a million dollars a year. I mean, the, this is value-based pricing 101, but if it's costing them a million dollars a year and you could say, well, no, I'm 10% certain this could or 20% certain this could fix it. I'll charge you $10,000 to do it. It's a winning bet for the company to say, okay, yeah, even if we aren't certain this is going to work, it's affordable enough and there's a good enough chance that it'll work for us to invest. And you only get to that point by understanding what the problem at play is. Yeah, yeah. I wish I had taken like MBA 101 more seriously as, as a student because I just associated MBA stuff with like douchery and that's not helpful or charitable, right? And there's, there's clearly some... It comes from a good place. There's, there's got to be something that that shows how the world works. I just never, I, I never thought it was sensible to think about that because I'm a designer. I'm a, I'm a punk guy. Like, why would I do that? And um, once it started to be like, okay, well, here's how I can take business know-how and fit it into my life in a way that doesn't make me want to puke bile, then. It was easier for me to understand how, for lack of a better term, the system works. And that was, uh, you know, kind of the beginning of me starting to realize um, not just design's role, but also how, what ramifications that has on my independent practice. Like you're talking about value-based pricing. Imagine if that, that $10,000 project took two days, Right. What if it was just a logo and a style guide and it took like a few weeks? Like, would you get that $10,000 project? I'd get that $10,000 project. This is how a lot of places are able to command the rates that they do because they have insanely high margins. You go to a design studio. I think about um, a former employer of mine when I was independent in 2010 called VSA Partners who are brilliant and wonderful and I love them to death. And their uh, office is gorgeous. It is one of the best spaces I've ever had the privilege of working in. And it's like, it's like if Eames designed Hogwarts, you wonder, and at least I wonder in hindsight, how do they get that? Why are they there? Why are they able to support the rent that they do? Why do they have the furniture that they do? Because that's, that's some premium. I mean, they're in one of the nicer buildings in the city that's full of a lot of tech agencies. And you think like, okay, well, how are they able to do that? There's clearly got to be some project that they landed or some value that they got. And as a designer or developer, really, anywhere, any agency, you are like 20 layers away from the business understanding of how that place works, let alone your clients. You're just told, make this. And you're not told why, and you're not told what ramifications it has, because that's for the salespeople and the, the corner offices to figure out. And you, there's two consequences of that. It means that only a very small amount of people that, that like actually run the agencies are going to be able to call the shots and get those clients and have a full and complete understanding of how the agency works. So they're going to get richer and become like the 1%, basically, uh, the, the people that are 
at VSA at the higher end are, are probably in that layer. Uh, and you're going to continue laboring under a, a lack of understanding about it. And you're going to just continue writing code or using Photoshop or Sketch app or whatever you do. And maybe that'll be happy for you. Maybe that's maybe you're getting enough of a salary to go to the Fluvog boutique and, and be okay by it. But like, there are a lot of people that I wish I had understood the context way sooner. And gained a greater understanding of it because that's that's how the world works and that's how you know you're going to have a job in 20 years do you want a job in 20 years i would love to have a job in 20 years when i think back on like my experience as an employee and what i changed there i guess going back one step it always surprises people that I don't have a business degree and that instead I have an econ degree and connecting with your statement about MBA 101 feeling like douchery, that's exactly what I felt when I was in the business program at the UFO. I just did not, as much as I am a business person and love being a business person and love the art and craft of business, I could not stand what felt like training to be a middle level employee in a cubicle doing Excel all day. And I felt like there has to be a different way. And my different way was just opting out of the business program and saying, okay, if I want to learn more business, I'm going to start a newspaper. I'm going to sell shit on eBay. I'm going to create interesting things and have a number of failures. I think I started two consulting agencies in quotes, in big, big air quotes with friends in that period. And we never got any clients, but at least along the way, I was able to learn more about the art of doing business. I didn't invest in any books. I didn't know who Alan Weiss was until a year and a half ago. I didn't know who Brennan Dunn or any consultant, uh, consulting luminaries were until a year and a half, two years ago. But knowing about them just elevated my knowledge in such a way. And I wish I had taken more time to study and learn about business. Just reading a book like Book Yourself Solid when I was 20 years old would have changed the trajectory of my life dramatically, let alone something like Chet Holmes's Ultimate Sales Machine or Spin Selling or any number of titles I could rattle off. If I had read Double Your Freelancing Rate by Brennan Dunn in 2006, it would have changed my life forever. It changed my life a lot, for sure, when I read it in, what was it, 2012 or 13, something like that. Um, but I wish I had had it sooner. I wish I had had business advice that was put out in a way that wasn't like horribly butthole cringing. Like there's so much terrible, terrible disinformation from batshit assholes in business. And it, it gives everybody a bad name. I, I sort of draw a weird line in the sand and say there's business advice and entrepreneurial advice. And what I really thrive off of is entrepreneurial advice. And a lot of the the books we just mentioned, let's pick on Brendan Dunn's Double Your Freelancing Rate. It's a book for consultants, but it also feels more like a book for entrepreneurs. Like the person who reads that is most likely an independent consultant or owner of a small agency. So you're more in the entrepreneur camp than the business camp. And business school felt like it was teaching me the craft of business. But what I really wanted was to learn how to start a business, learn how to be an entrepreneur, learn how to provide value and then charge for it. And at least at the University of Oregon, when I was there, none of the classes or courses really directed you in that way. You know, I'm looking, I'm, I'm just poking around Brendan Dunn's website right now, and everything that he has written is not about being a freelancer. It's about starting a freelancing business. And he, he manages to like slip that pill in there by saying, well, you're you're doing freelancing and you're clearly independent, you're you're trying to make it but if you treat yourself like you're a business 
then you're going to, you know, at least make more money than you spend and treat yourself with a little bit more integrity and specialize a little bit more and position yourself in a certain way. And it's a subtle twist of terminology to say, I'm running a freelancing business versus I'm freelancing right now. Like, what do those two different sentences look like to you, right? Like, one of them, one of them implies you're, you're way more serious about the practice. Right. It seems like the distinction between this is something I'm doing because I lost my job and I'm freelancing right now t- until I get another job, or I have started a business. I'm a business person. I own a company. I, I think back to... When I when I was working with my first client as a freelancer, as a consultant, there was a point when I was like, oh, yeah, I just incorporated and set up a business. And there was a subtle change where they're like, oh, you own a business now. You're now a capital C consultant. When before it really felt like I was a pair of hands, just the way people would refer to me in meetings or we'd have conversations. That subtle distinction between I'm a freelancer and I'm now running a business or running a freelance business definitely shifted my perception within that company. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, and that sort of stature is something that you have to own, right? Like nobody is going to give it to you because you're talented or awesome. Like they're they're going to give it to you because you carry yourself in a certain way or maybe if you work hard enough, but that seems like that seems like attacking it with like a attacking brain surgery with a ball peen hammer. Like you're not there are better ways, you know? And there are better there are better solutions that you can possibly use and and a lot of it is human psychology and i know that that's not something that comes naturally to a lot of people um i probably even still in my job today end up undermining myself with my language and my poise and the way that i carry myself probably several dozen times a day there's probably a lot of situations where that happens but there it's a it's a practice you get better at it and it's like acting you don't you don't have to be like that when you know you turn off the microphone or um you go home every day you can just be your own slovenly nonsense self i do at least mm-hmm. and that's something i've actually always struggled with as a business owner where uh, I, I rebelled isn't the right word, but I've struggled against adopting a persona or putting on a persona for business guy. And I mean, on my Twitter, the way I communicate with folks, it very much is the honest, authentic, like Kai brand. Like my my Twitter bio, for lack of a better example right now, is uh, retweets and faves are sex. I love you. Uh, uh, oh, your internet boyfriend. Your and real internet boyfriend. Your real internet boyfriend. That's it. And uh, like that's very much the type of humor and the type of jokes I would make in real life and how I would present myself. Like, what do you do online? I'm your real internet boyfriend. Like, that's the authentic slovenly, for lack of a better word, Kai. And I've had that carry through my marketing, my messaging, how I present myself, how I communicate with clients. Like, they're hiring Kai and they're getting Kai full stop. There's no, I'm sectioning off business Kai and they're interacting with business Kai and at the end of the day, the mask comes off and I'm Kai Davis again. Yeah. It works well for humanizing yourself to an audience, but it also makes you phenomenally unscalable, right? Mm-hmm. You can't, there's no way you can clone Kai. You are a unique snowflake and wonderful and retweets and faves are sexts. 
I suffer the same thing where people like I just kind of burn down charisma and my writing skills because I'm an excellent writer, but I don't want to run a business where it's like, okay, well, Nick D is doing this and he is leading the sales process and you're going to Nick D's business. And then all of a sudden you're passed off to a team of other people, none of whom are Nick D, right? Mm -hmm. Like that seems (sighs) dishonest and I'm really uncomfortable about it. Mm -hmm. Talking it out, maybe that's where my sense of being uncomfortable comes from with hiring people or hiring an assistant or delegating where I feel like so much of it is integrated into who I am as a person or the brand is Kai and Kai is the brand that to hire somebody delegitimizes it or dilutes it or makes it less authentic. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're hitting on something important and valuable there where there's like, um, both of us have like a really strong and interesting personality that's um, a little weird and like kind of funny to be around. Like, and a lot of people want to see what that looks like in a lot of ways. They want to see, it, but it has, on the one hand, it's great that you're getting people in the door that way. And on the other hand, it's terrible from a professional standpoint. It's, it's not how you develop a professional relationship. It's how you develop a, I want to drink with this person relationship. And you can be a weird absurdist flip out at the bar. But like, um, I think if I were running my business better, I would promote the image of being way more boring than I am. So in a way, I'm kind of happy that I undermine myself by being honest in myself because I don't, I don't want to do that. I really don't. And I think one, one thing the listener can take away from this is, we both, being our authentic, weird selves, have been able to build successful online businesses, successful consulting practices. You've written a very, very, very successful book. And at no point along the line have you really compromised who you are or have I, or have I had to compromise who I really am. Instead, it seems we both are willing to say, well, I want to make the world around me bend to my real personality. And if it's a slightly harder climb okay, I'm happier to be me and happier to be weird and real and who I am than compromise and project a different image for the benefit of maybe landing a project, maybe making a little more money. We've been able to build a nice business for each of us by being weird and being ourselves. Yeah. And and just to be very clear, it doesn't give either of us an excuse to like be feral and go off the grid and do whatever it is we want and like indulge our id. Like we're doing a lot of work to meet the client's needs and build something that people actually want. And if you can find what the overlap is between what you love doing and what people want, I mean, that's that's the thing, right? Like, and everybody talks about that. Um, and I'm very lucky that I got there, but I think you and I both share the perspective that it took a lot of struggle, a lot of struggle to get there. And it was not easy. Mm-hmm. I don't think I realized how hard it was until I found that fit, that overlap between what I could provide, what I like providing, and what people want to buy. And then it suddenly was like, oh, this is this is what easy mode is. This is what it feels like to have it be graceful. And yeah. running headfirst into a wall for a few years, I thought that was normal. I thought that's that was what owning a business was like. I think in many ways, I ran headfirst into a wall for 32 years. I really do. I think I spent almost all of my life not knowing and once it started to click, like it wasn't 
an overnight thing. But once it started happening, it was like, oh, this is what it's about. And you just don't want to stop. And it's great. And you're having fun. I'm having fun. <laughs> I'm having fun. I think to... Uh, this uh, is fine. <laughs> I think to uh, the book I just wrote, uh, The Traffic Manual, and... I've wanted to write and publish an ebook in like a, a technical ebook for consultants about marketing for years. Like you go back to 2010, Kai, and you ask Kai, what do you want to do? Like, what's your plan? And, and he would say, I want to publish a book. I want to make money online. I want to get into information products. And it took me five years of struggle and feeling like this is a horribly, terribly scary mountain to climb until it finally happened. And at the end of that project, while it took a lot of work to put it out, I suddenly realized how easy it was and how so much of the struggle I was feeling was me manifesting that struggle, me generating that struggle as an excuse. And now when I look at it, I'm like, okay, great. If I want to write a book again, which I do and which I'm planning on doing, it's not that hard. Like I have a plan. I have a system. I have a framework. I have a path to follow. And maybe part of the reason I was running to the walls for so long head first was because I was willfully closing my eyes. There's a Jenny Holzer quote. Uh, she's a artist that works predominantly in text installations that says, protect me from what I want. And I think about that a lot. I feel like my business in many ways is just me breaking down psychological barriers between me and what I want, or at least what I say I want. On an intellectual level, I know what I want, but on an emotional and psychological level, it couldn't be harder. Yeah, I have a, a connecting to the idea of want. I have a print hanging in my office. I'm sure you're familiar with this and some of our listeners are as well. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's a haiku. All I want to be is someone that makes new things and thinks about them. And that really is when I think about like, what do I want my business to be over the next 40 years? I want it to be that. I want to make new things. I want to think about them. I want to see what I discover about them. And ideally, I want people to be delighted by the things. I don't want to just go off into the forest, go feral and make some things, make my manuscript and have people be like, what is this? We don't care. I want to generate things that provide value, that answer questions and that people say like, this helped me achieve a thing. A, a friend who's in a mastermind I'm in was just messaging me today. Hey, Kai, I read your book and I emailed two podcasts and I'm booked on both of them next week. And I'm like, holy shit, I helped do a thing that helped him learn how to achieve this objective. He's never been on a podcast before. He pitched them and now he's booked on two and that's going to lead to more down the line. That's so satisfying for me. That is yeah. delightful for me. Yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, being able to help people and practice my job on a daily basis and somehow make money online all at the same time is, um, it's kind of shocking that I'm able to do that. And, and I cannot begin to express the gratitude that I have that I can like sit in this chair and even metacognitively bloviate about it to somebody that I care about. Like, um, even being able to have that is like its own kind of meta privilege. You know, I think that's a good way to, to end it on a happy note. We ended the past two on sad notes, so we had to end it on a happy note. I wonder if our next episode will end on a happy note. I don't know. We might have recorded them out of order. Mm. Eh. Unclear. Mm. Stay tuned. <laughs> ba -ba -ba -bum. Stay tuned for the next exciting episode of Make Money Online. Kai buys a pen. Kai buys a pen. <laughs> Thank you so much, Nick. No problem, man. Thank you. This is good. Talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye now.